You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Prison Poems, Citizens of Joy in Circumstance of Suffering. In this series from Paul's letter to the Philippians, we learn how to press into the source of true joy, citizenship in heaven through our union with Christ. Now stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. It's fun seeing faces again. Welcome. Uh, My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's great to have you guys with us. Uh, Again, a a happy Father's Day to the dads in the room. Uh, In many ways, I am my father's son, and I'm grateful for my dad and all of the gifts that I have. Um, In many ways, I could do 50 minutes just talking about what a gift my father has been to me. If you know him, uh, you are fortunate. And so happy Father's Day, Dad. I love you, and I am thankful for you. Uh, Being a dad right now, I'm a dad. I've got three kids, and their ages are 6, 5, and 18 months Um, which means the days are pretty long and noisy. And, you know, I have a bit of a strange job, and I go to my strange job, and I come home, and my oldest son wants to tell me everything that he's learned about Mario. He's in a Mario phase of the last two weeks. I don't know how it happened, but his whole world is Mario. Uh, It was Pokemon. There was something in between Pokemon and Mario. I can't remember. I tried to get him into Avatar The Last Airbender, if you guys know that thing, but went okay. It was a little scary, I guess. I don't know. But so he wants, to, he wants me to draw pictures of Mario. And then my daughter, um, she wants to dance and make up songs together. My 18-month-old wants to kind of ride me like a horse and go outside. And then my wife wants to talk to me about this house we're renovating and all the things that adults have to figure out in a normal life. And it, is, it feels like I wake up about 6.30 in the morning and then the foot is on the gas until there's silence at about 9 or 10 o'clock. And it's almost like you're shell-shocked at, at, the, at the end of the day. And from my gray-haired friends, they say, don't worry, it only lasts about another 20 years. And then, and then it'll go back to what you thought normal was. Uh, and it's strange because I was talking with somebody about this yesterday. Uh, my house is so loud all the time. And... And then I try to imagine what will, what will it be like when the children are gone and the silence sounds terrifying. Um, the silence sounds so sad. And so I'm, I'm torn between these feelings of real delight in the gift I have in these children and a longing for things just to get a little quieter sometimes. And then real sadness thinking about what the house will sound like once they're gone. And it's made me, I've been wrestling a lot lately and it, it it's convenient because of where we are in Philippians. I've been wrestling a lot lately with this idea of peace. What is, is peace? What, what actually is it? is it? Is it simply the absence of conflict, which I guess is in some ways is 
the Webster's definition. Do people still have dictionaries? Dictionaries were these books that told you what words were before Google was out, and you'd have these big books and you'd, whatever, let the reader understand. Um, does it just mean nobody is fighting? Huh. I, imagine, I imagine many of us grew up in homes or had, maybe had a dad that we would say was nonviolent in the sense that he wasn't fighting or screaming at us, but then it also felt like the room was tense all of the time. Maybe there wasn't screaming and shouting or violence, but you probably also wouldn't say your home was peaceful. Um, and we've also experienced times in our country where we may not necessarily be in a war, or it may not be World War III all over again, but then we also wouldn't necessarily say we're in a time of peace. Maybe, maybe you've been in a room before that's filled with tension anxiety in all of the relationships, and maybe nobody called 911, but nobody would say that that was a room of peace. It has to be, in my opinion, something more than simply nobody is swinging fists at each other. Um, and it seems to me, and this could just be my desire, that you can have peace even while things are noisy and you've got a bunch of little children at home. So a couple of weeks ago, we tried to define joy from the book of Philippians. Let's con consider that definition again. We said joy is delight in the beauty of God that produces patient hope. Uh, so you, you can think through that. You can write it down. Uh, there's a lot going on. Every word in there is important. Um, joy is a longing to see our king in all of his beauty. It's a hunger to experience it. And that longing fills us with a patient confidence that it's, it's going to be okay. Or as we sang, that all will be well. All manner of things must be well. This kind of joy fills us with a confidence that ours is a happy ending. Joy produces in us a deep abiding sense that all is well and all will be well. And when you have that joy, it produces this wonderful confidence that I think is called peace. I don't think peace is just the absence of conflict. It's also confidence that all will be well. It's a stability of soul that in any circumstances can look to the horizon and see that the sun is about to rise. What's so curious to me about this, I really believe everything I just said, uh, what's curious to me about it is the the path to that kind of disposition of soul, the path to becoming that kind of person laid out by the scriptures is very foreign to us and often quite painful. We, in this place, in this time, in this country, we are people that we're told all the time that wholeness, that hope, that confidence, it comes through achievement. If you had more, if you had this position, if you had these possessions, if you had this situation or this relationship, this recognition, have you ever had someone advocate to you for downward mobility? What's the opposite of a promotion? A demotion, right? Maybe, have you thought about getting a demotion this year? Maybe if you made a little less money, simplified, a little less responsibility, a little less noticeable, I bet that would be really good for you. It's not something that we talk about. Follow your dreams, get that house, get that relationship, then all will be well. That seems to me to be the message that many of us have been spoon-fed since before we could talk. Verse 1, 
I don't want to nerd you out with the grammar. There's a therefore in there that's hard to see that connects verses one through four with verse chapter one, verse 27 that we talked about last week. So what is being argued for here is tied to the reality that we are citizens of heaven, or to put it more precisely, uh, the commands, the invitations, reflections of chapter two, verses one through four are rooted in the command that we must live as citizens of heaven. It's a command to pursue our own joy, but the path to the joy of peace is not what the world was expecting. It's very foreign and will feel strange to most of us. So let's take a look. Verses one through, uh, verse one, there's all of these questions that are rhetorical, and I'll explain some of why that is here in a second. But in, in essence, these are no-duh questions. They're supposed to be obvious. So he says in verse one, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Uh, th- it's so interesting. It's beautiful to me. Uh, he doesn't just say, is there any encouragement from being forgiven by Christ? Which forgiveness is something that I think our tribe really enjoys talking about because you do dumb stuff and now you got to get out of it and you are forgiven. But he doesn't say you're just forgiven. He says, not only are you forgiven, but you belong to Jesus. He's made room for you in his family. So is there, does the fact that God desires you, that Christ desires you and you belong to him, does that give you any courage? Knowing that your future is secure that the God of all creation delights in you. Could that have any impact on what you're facing right now? Is there any encouragement from knowing that everything's gonna be okay? All will be well. And the answer is an obvious yes. If we believed and experienced that we were held safe eternally by God, that would give us quite a bit of courage to have that hard conversation with a coworker or whatever it is we're facing. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Obviously, yes. Is there any comfort from his love? He continues in verse one. You belong to Christ, so he comforts you in your pain with his love as one who understands. Is there any comfort knowing Jesus is with you and that the Father loves you? Again, it's an obvious, yeah, that it actually quite helps knowing that we, will, we love and serve one who is tempted in every way, who, who has suffered as we suffered. It's an, another obvious yes. Again, in verse one, any fellowship together in the Spirit, Now he's tipping his hand a little bit as to what he's really talking about here. Courage in Christ, comfort from the Father's love for you in Christ, and fellowship with God through the Spirit. Maybe you're getting a sense of what's happening here. If not yet, it's okay. We'll get there. Um, Here's a hint, though. Fellowship is deep friendship on a shared mission. Deep friendship on a shared mission. So is there... Is there any fellowship, any deep friendship as you walk through this life with the Spirit? His final question here in verse 1 speaks to one of my personal deepest longings. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Are you old enough to have felt the temptation towards cynicism? You feel that, that pull towards isolation? and mistrust. You've been hurt so many times, let down so many times, it hasn't gone your way so many times, and you just start thinking, maybe I'll stick to myself. Have you felt that temptation towards hardness of heart? Paul's reminding us that we have courage through our union with Christ, comfort through the love of the Father, deep friendship through the presence of the Spirit 
which enables us to remain tender-hearted and compassionate. So think about this list together. What would you give to be a person of courage, a person of comfort, tender-hearted, compassionate? I'm, I'm convinced that not only are these realities ours in Christ, but that they also speak to some of the deepest longings we all have. I, I don't believe any of us don't want to be this kind of person can remain open-hearted and tender and loving, experiencing comfort even in the midst of our suffering, to face life with confidence and strength. Verse 1, all of these questions are uh, variations on the theme, as the old composers would say. It is the same question repeated over and over in different ways to try to help you understand what he's saying. He's saying, don't you know Jesus is with you? Don't you know his presence is with you? All of these gifts are available through deep friendship with Christ. This is what Paul is after in verse one. He's inviting us into an experiential, participatory relationship with Jesus. Think about what those words are. Experience, okay? So this isn't just something that we know in our minds. Christianity was never meant to be just a set of information, propositional truth statements. It's not, and you know this, you know this even if you've never thought about it because you know that sin you committed last week was wrong and you know you shouldn't have done it and you know, you knew that before you did it and yet you still did it anyway. So the life of Christianity is an experiential one. It's meant to be real and tangible and it's a participation that's a relationship where we talk to Jesus and Jesus talks to us. We participate in the life of Christ. It's a, it's a real thing. And, and fundamentally, this is a relationship with Christ. So this is a real, tangible, transforming experience. And it is what we all long for. The very presence of Christ that fills us with the joy of peace, knowing all will be well. This is what verse one is after. You can be in the real presence of Christ and it can change you and it can provide you this kind of stability of soul. And here's where it gets a little upside down or at least it gets tricky. The pathway to it is so unexpected. It's not, again, we don't just sit back and say peace, peace, peace and repeat peace over and over and over again like a mantra into our heads or, or the idea of just preaching the gospel to yourself is so strange to me when that, when that remains like a cognitive exercise. I know I shouldn't have done that. I feel bad that I did that. I promise I'll never do it again. And it's, you know, how <laughs> you've should your way into all kinds of dumb mistakes before. Most of the things that we do that are wrong after we're Christians, you already knew they were wrong before you did it. Uh, I, yeah, I think all of us know, even if we wouldn't have articulated it, that information is not enough for transformation. Like dad, uh, there's a Bible verse that says, don't make your kids angry at you, right? Don't antagonize your children. And you ever snapped at your kid? Don't say it, dad, it's Father's Day. All right, like you know that verse, you know don't be harsh with your wife or God won't listen to you pray. And then you find yourself in a situation knowing that verse and all of the things that fly up out of your mouth. Jesus whittles the whole law down to say, love your neighbor as yourself. You know that's true. And how is that working out for you? Simply knowing it. We cannot just be a people who confess these truths thinking that they are enough. These truths must penetrate the soul and lead to a new way of living an experiential reality. So how do we experience it? 
Paul knows, I'm convinced Paul has these thoughts in mind. Um, one, because we're about to get to a poem and a song, and there, there's this interesting rhythm and cadence to Paul's writing, and some scholars think that Paul sent out performers to read this letter. This isn't just information here. So these are people who could do dramatic readings of the whole letter to stir emotions. And I can't do that. Right? Like, I don't know how to do that, which was why I was not sent by one of the apostles to go do his song and dance version of Philippians. But this was written in such a way that it would stir our emotions. Emotions are the language of experience. They invite us into deeper realities. It's why you, it's why you cry in the middle of Frozen and you're not really sure why because something happens to you or you hear a song from when you were a kid and something happens to you and you don't really know why. Paul is appealing to our emotions. He knows you know this is true and so he's inviting us. Uh, he's coming at us a different way. I think also because he knows how difficult what he's going to call us into is going to be. The way into this kind of peace, the way into this kind of joy is not only bizarre, but it's, it's difficult. So, verse 2, he says, if all of these things, which we agreed were obvious, well, at least I agreed, you guys didn't really talk back, but I'm just telling you, I think they're obvious yeses. He says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Something that you will find if you stay in the Christianity game long enough, the most concrete place to experience the presence of Jesus, the most consistent place where you can experience the presence of Jesus will be in the presence of his people. Every Christian is filled with the presence of Christ. Whenever you are in the presence of another Christian, you are in the presence of Christ. Paul is appealing to us, if you want relationship with Jesus— you must press into relationship with each other. And notice, can you put that, that verse back up? Uh, notice all of the lesser stories that need to die for us to go into this, for us to live into this verse. Here, here's what it, it says, love one another, not just your favorites, not just the people that are into the same stuff you are, not just the people who aren't aggravating in community group, not just the people who can speak in succinct sentences, even the ones who ramble on and on or uh, <laughs> who take the long way around the block, as one of my friends would say. Not just the people who are like us. He says, work together with one mind and purpose. You realize working together, um, might, you might find yourself working with someone you don't agree with on issues that may be very important to you. Paul is stressing to us that the chief benefits of your citizenship in Christ are experienced not as an individual, but as a part of a community where we're working together, alike and dis dislike. What's the difference of unalike? That doesn't sound right. Alike and different. Y'all get what I'm saying. Working together, showing love with one another, to one another, working together towards one purpose which is experiencing the presence of Christ and building his kingdom. In other words, we must decrease and he must increase. We must see ourselves no longer as the main characters of our lives. And, and perhaps we need to move away from this idea of a personal relationship with Jesus in the sense that it's just me and Jesus doing our thing together. It, it was always meant for us to be together as part of a people, as part of a community. Verse 2 is the same idea repeated three different ways. 
It's the same idea in that verse. He's straining to help us see it. You're not in this alone. You belong to Christ and you belong to each other. Agree with your whole heart. Love one another. Work together with one purpose. And I'm telling you, the story of the kingdom of God is the only story great enough to unite all of us. If we could just like pause church for a minute and say, hey, for the next five hours, we're gonna have everybody share. Even in this, like, I know it's weird. We've got people here, but not many people and not like it was. And even in a room this size, and we said, everybody gets 30 minutes to share their story. And we just went around the room and did that. By the end of this, we would be thinking, what are all of these people doing in the same room? One, an old pastor of mine, he used to say, the only thing that could bring people like us together are drugs or Jesus. It's the only places that you see so many differences coming together because the kingdom of God is a story big enough and great enough to unite. I mean, the examples are easy. Democrats and Republicans, black and white, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, felons and people who've never, you know, never got a B in school. It's the only story beautiful enough that we might actually be compelled to lay down our individual stories. If you want joy, you have to lay down your individual story and, and place yourself in part of a greater story. Here's the posture required. This is where it gets really difficult. Verses three through four. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your interests but take an interest in others too. This is the way of Christ. The, and just leave that up for a second. The way up will feel so often like the way down. And I just want to be clear. This isn't a death of self or like Eastern mysticism that says empty yourself of all interests, of all desires, of all. This is not that. It's saying grow in awareness that there are other humans in the world. Grow in awareness that you are part of a body that is bigger than you. It's not wrong to have desires. Just recognize other people have interests too. Talk to people about things beyond just what you are interested in. There's a lot that we could say there, but this is the invitation. If you want more joy, if you want to experience the presence of Christ, then commit yourself to serving others. Lay down your desire to be impressive and noticed. Let the Facebook commenter understand. Lay down your desire to be impressive and notice how much of your life is motivated by wanting to look good for other people. And ask someone who's done that for 30 or 40 years if that works. That will, not only will that be exhausting, but you'll come to the end of your life finding that no one will ever be impressed enough, no one will ever think highly enough to settle your soul and give you this kind of peace. Make space for other people's interests in your life. This is the way of Christ, and this is the path of peace in his kingdom, which makes me think about being a dad. You know, when I come home, and I have all of these interests and desires, nobody in my family wants to talk about land cruisers. Nobody in my family wants to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals or, or whatever. But even in all of the noise and all of the chaos at coming home, I can enter into their world. I can lay down my interests and my desires to find this kind of peace and confidence with them. I know it's foreign to many of us, the idea of, uh, laying down our lives. Um, but this, if you've read the, the scriptures, even if you've just read the gospels, this should all sound very familiar. This is the way of Christ and has been so. 
one example. We preached on this recently from Matthew chapter 16. And I find it to be entirely ridiculous, at least the first half of it. Um, I think, I don't know if I should have said that. Is that okay, Travis? I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. I think it's silly. You'll see. Jesus begins and says in Matthew 16, whoever wants to save their life, that's the ridiculous part. Right? Can you... (laughs) I don't know, sometimes I feel crazy. Can you imagine looking at a room and say, hey, who doesn't care about their life? <laughs> who's, who's up for just throwing their one sweet, precious, wild, beautiful life away? You, of course we want to save our lives. Of course we want to prolong our lives. And Jesus says, hey, listen, if you want to save your life, which he's, that's him saying, all y'all, Right? If all, every one of us wants to save our life, we all want to see our life increase. But listen to what Jesus says. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Those who cling to their own plans, those who demand their own way, who pursue their own interests above all will find themselves lacking in life, lacking in peace, lacking in the very... This is the, what's so deceiving about sin. When you pursue things you want in a sinful way, you will, you will get the very thing you fear most. I'm so afraid of being alone, so I'll go for this relationship at all costs. And you get in an unhealthy, crazy relationship and you feel more alone than you've ever felt in your whole life. When you follow the path of sin, you guarantee getting the very thing you're trying to avoid. The path of peace is laying down your life for the sake of finding it. It's laying down your rights, your preferences, your status for the sake of experiencing the presence of Christ and finding joy as a citizen of heaven. Christianity may never be a mere collection of doctrines, It is that, but it's not only that. And too many of us reduce it to that. And we argue endlessly about things that, frankly, we will never really know. They belong to the mind of God. Christianity is a new way of living made possible through God himself, Jesus Christ. It's a new way of being human. The joy of peace is experienced through relationship with Jesus. And if you want to experience relationship with Jesus... It comes in the context of relationship with each other. So, I invite you into a story that's greater than your own. A story that's greater than, I don't know, getting that house or that job or that car, whatever it is that you're tempted to think will settle your soul and convince you that all will be well. The story of Christianity is the story of cosmic renewal and restoration where every activity can be infused with divine meaning. Jesus taught us to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, in some ways, that is the essence of the mission. In Christ, let's work to make things on earth function as they do in heaven. So if you're like, well, what does this mean? What do I do? Just look across the earth, and what do you see departing from God's design? What is broken? Who is broken? You get to be a part of healing the world, reconciling all men to God himself, peace in the nations. In this kingdom-building endeavor, no task is too small. 
And it's the small tasks where every Christian must begin. So it just is stunning to me how many of us feel prepared to change the world when our own house is a wreck. Our own lives are a wreck. And maybe Jesus says, if you're faithful, if you're responsible with a little bit, you'll probably be responsible with a lot of it. And what if we became a people who saw the kingdom of God breaking through in every aspect? If it wasn't just minds to be changed, but the very earth itself, God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. So where do you see the earth out of order? Where do you see your world out of order? What's something small that you can perhaps face every day? Where can you see yourself clinging to your own desires? Demanding your own way. I bet if you can think of something, you will also find all kinds of conflict there, all kinds of frustration, all kinds of anxiety because you are demanding your way over and over and over again. What might it look like for you to lay that down and try something new? Dad, what would it mean for you to come home and take the posture of a servant? What would it mean for you to lay down not all of your desires and interests, but to also look to the interests of your family? What if your kids grew up in a home knowing that dad wasn't checked out, but he was, I don't know what the opposite of checked out is, checked in, came home, and you weren't just giving your scraps to your family, but you were giving your best? What might it look like to take a posture of humility with your coworkers or your members here at this church, your brothers and sisters? If you, if you would slow down and be honest with yourself, I am certain, I'm certain that chasing your own desires has only led you to your own isolation, your own frustration, and your own anxiety. Chasing your desires and your ways and your power. And I just want to be clear, the problem is not the desires. It's not the desire to save our lives or the desire for a meaningful, significant life. Our problem is we don't know where to find it and most of us have been lied to our entire lives about how to get it. If you want to fulfill your desires, purify them in Christ by laying them down. If you want to ascend the ladder of significance, pursue downward mobility. It's so foreign, it's so upside down, and this, again, is why Paul began where he did. You belong to Christ, which means you follow the way of Christ. And this is the story of Jesus himself, the one who created all things and holds all things together, came to his rebellious creation, not on a, sword, well, on a horse with a sword or in tanks, or I don't know what kind of divine armament the armies of heaven have, but he didn't come with that. He came as a baby. He laid down his own story because he was part of a much bigger one. Though he was without sin, he suffered. Though he was a man of peace, he endured violence. Though he was God, he allowed himself to be executed by his own creation. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, so that in him all things might be made new again, so that you might be made new again. Joy is delighting in the beauty of God that produces patient hope. So look to the beauty of God Almighty approaching you as an infant. The beauty of his sinless life, his self-sacrificial death in your place, the glory of his resurrection. The gospel of Jesus is both your pardon and your pattern. It sets you free and invites you to live 
in that freedom. There is no context for joy outside of relationship. In Christ, you're at peace with God, and now you're at peace with one another. When the presence of Christ is real for us personally, and it's real for us corporately, our souls will be filled with deep confidence that all will be well. And as Paul will later describe it, that peace will be beyond what we can understand. It won't make sense. It's supernatural. In Christ, there are no lost causes or hopeless situations. All must be well, and all manner of things will be well. Thanks be to God. And so to root ourselves in this reality week after week, is it not so fascinating that Jesus taught us to remember the gospel by inviting us into a meal? On the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this in remembrance of me. He does not give us merely creeds, merely a set of belief statements. He gives us something to touch, to smell, to taste, that physically, literally becomes who we are. The mystery of food enters into our body. It's digested in meta- and I don't know how any of this works, but it becomes cells and skin and it repairs you. The, the very things we eat become who we are and Christ is inviting us into that kind of relationship. And so we're gonna try this. We're gonna, we're gonna take communion all, all together now. Um, if you need a, a communion cup, there's some out there. Um, if you didn't get one on your way in, These taste great, y'all, if you've never done it before. This will be the best communion you've ever had. So you can rip off the top. And there's so much about this that isn't what we would choose, right? There's so much about these last six months that we wouldn't vote for, that this isn't what we wanted. Um, And so let's turn our imaginations on. Uh, Let's lay down some of our rights and preferences and look at this flavorless wafer. And in your imagination, allow it to represent the very body of Christ, which is given for you. So take this and eat it and remember Christ's body was given for you. Then take the juice and remember Christ's blood was shed for you and this seals your relationship with God. So long as the blood of Christ remains shed, you remain safely in the family of God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.